Hello, and welcome to another edition of History Untapped. Today, we are discussing one of the most exciting and impressive heists that's ever been performed. I'm Jacob, and I'm joined by John, Michael, and Stephen. Before we get started, I need a quick word with new listeners. If you are a returning listener, listen to the calmness in my voice and imagine yourself floating in the ocean surrounded by tiny seahorses, thanking all the reasons why you're not successful. Now back to you new guys. If you couldn't tell by the name, we are a history podcast, and the untapped part means we drink enough to where we become certified experts to discuss the topic of which we bring you today. And I can confidently tell you, we are very expertized. With that being said, there will be a luscious amount of explicit language, so listener discretion is advised. Now that all of that is out of the way, let's get into today's show. Guess who's back, 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 back again, Gint, Gint. Jacob's back, back, back. Tell your friends, friends, friends. Guess who's back? Jacob's back, Jacob's back, Jacob's back, Jacob's back. Buonana, not, not, doana, not, not. All right, yeah. Today we are talking about one of the most exciting and impressive heists that's ever been pulled off, not only in Europe, but the world. So better than like Ocean's... Ocean's movies, like all of those. Well, I mean, once you listen to this, like Pink it's Panther, probably better. Yes, it's it's insane. It's like it's like a movie. You would think it's Ocean's Eleven, but it's actually been done. What about the what was it that movie with Zach Galifianakis where they pull off a heist? Better. I don't know. Better that was pretty the bank good. Robbery one. Yeah, that was pretty Matt good. Damon, the Italian job. It's true. Better. Better than that. Oh, dude, I'm excited. Better. I'm about to have my mind blown then. The ending is fucking insane. Yeah, bite your knuckles, dog. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> it's about to go down. It's about to get real. In July 19th of 1976, 8.30 a.m., the Société Générale, a bank in Nice, France, was going through their routine of opening. Two employees walked down the stairs to open the prize vault of the Société Générale. 50 years old, three foot thick, and weighing at 20 tons, 20 tons. This vault door was said to be impenetrable. It was even rumored that a laser couldn't get through it. And uh, it was thought of being broken into with such a disbelief that the bank and insurance companies thought a modern security system and uh, of cameras uh, and tremble alarms was thought to be an unnecessary waste of money and resources. Even when the customers who owned uh, one of the 4,000 uh, safety boxes complained about the lack of security, it was shrugged off. So th- this bank, they had this super old vault that it was so thick and it had all these these levers and whatnot to get into it even the insurance company was like nah nobody's breaking on this shit you don't need cameras or anything like it's fucking good like you're great and even when i was like hey you know i got prized possessions in there maybe you should you know beef up security they're like bitch please like have you seen this vault good (laughs) it's three feet thick a laser can't get through it this girl is uh, thick, okay? Yeah, mega thick. She's slim. Well, hang thick. on. When did this? When did this take place? 
1976. Yeah, it was like the first thing I said, John. I'm just asking. July 19th, 1976, <laughs> at 8.30 in the morning, John. It's right there. It's, it is right there in front of me. Okay, so like, how good were lasers in read. the 70s, though? Were lasers even good in the 70s? Like, Fire the laser. We hey, want you know, sharks with out. laser beams on their heads. Fire the laser! <laughs> I found out One like a year million ago dollars. that in like, in like the early 70s, we already had fiber opt- optics, you know? So lasers oh. were probably pretty decent. They're pretty good. All right. If you know, how, yeah, if you know where to get it. Well, so that's what I was James wondering. Bond's because all, um, I mean, like, honestly, almost get cut in half. Got 20 it. years ago, this far, the only thing I knew about lasers was, you know, people had them in middle school and they'd flash in the teacher's eyes and you'd get suspended for having them. Well, well that's that. actually not a real laser. What's uh, what I mean? But like, that's the only thing I knew about like lasers was like it was yeah. laser pointers. I was gonna say that's just Fair a enough. red light that's magnified. Cat. Yeah, I know. But that's what I'm saying. I didn't know what laser, like how good laser technology would have yeah. been 50 years ago. You see, when twenty, that's a laser yeah. dog. Right. On his watch, he had a good one. He that's had a, a laser laser. dog. What? 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 Oh, oh man! <laughs> wow, this is gonna be a. Who's long drinking one. here? <laughs> Michael, I thought you were on a cleanse. At 8.34, the two employees inserted their keys into the vault door, which held an old mechanism of two sets of interlocking rods. Once they inserted their keys, they then had to rotate three wheels simultaneously to disengage the rods. Each wheel was rotated a quarter turn to the right for the horizontal rods and a quarter turn to the left for the vertical rods. As they went through their daily routine, they could hear the faint sounds of the mechanism unlocking. By 8.35, the door was unlocked. One of the two men gave the gentle push needed to open the doors, but nothing happened. So this is, like, really, like, old school. You can hear, like, the clanging of the metal and everything as, like, everything slides into place to actually open up. That's wild. But it It takes a full full minute to, like, turn everything the right way, and then they go to push it open. (laughs) They're like, what the fuck? Click, 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 click. I imagine it was super easy to put on a stethoscope and crack that shit. I'm imagining fucking Hogwarts, uh, Hogwarts the yeah, first Harry Potter movie when the, the guy's yeah. like moving his hands over everything and you hear like click, 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 click. Yeah. <laughs> At the the bank. Yeah, the green bank. Gots. Green gots. Yeah. There it is. Oh, I'm dumb as shit. What's happened? I'm dipping and I just spit in my beer. Oh. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Good thing it was a thick spit because it was rolling down the side of the glass slow as hell, so I was able to scoop her out. That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, boys. Cheers, buddy. My <laughs> bottle opener is my cam. <laughs> God, you are so Texas. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. I was thinking a different kind of can. <laughs> That's what I was thinking too, John. <laughs> what can are you talking about? I was always thinking, so, do you ever watch King of the Hill? No. Dale always talks about his wife. He's always like, well, Nancy's got a can on her. You know, always talking about her ass. So, you're like, my can is my bottle opener. <laughs> the two men looked at each other and shrugged. Thinking nothing of it, they began their routine over again, inserting the keys, turning the wheel number one a quarter to the left and a quarter to the right, wheel number two, and so forth. One of the men jokingly whispered, open sesame, and gave a gentle push and nothing. 
A customer waiting at the top of the stairs asked, what's going on? To which one of the employees replied, oh, nothing, the door is sticking, that's all. The customer smiled and said, well, if you can't get in, then at least we know that there's no chance of a robbery. (laughs) (laughs) Dumbass. The two employees chuckled and began going through a routine a third time. And by now, a small crowd had grown at the top of the stairs, who began heckling and throwing sarcastic remarks to the foot of the stairs aimed at the two employees. Like, bro, it's not their fault. Sacre bleu, you can't open the door. <laughs> like, you're like Joey from Friends. Je, me, je, me, 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 me. Je, me. At 8.50, the employees admitted defeat, apologized to the customers, and went upstairs to inform a Jacou. Jacques? I don't know. A Jacques? Jacques. <laughs> Did you just I... call him Jacou? Listen. <laughs> I told you. I oh my was God, trying to That's the easiest one, though. That's a gimme <laughs> French name. Like, that's a Y'all make fun of me for saying Queen Anna's. <laughs> I love you so yeah. much, but that was the cutest thing I've ever heard. Whatever. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know, really quick, you know how you oh, can, like... There's another t-shirt. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know how you can look up definitions, <laughs> and it's got, like, how you pronounce it? Yeah. I'm totally going to put Jacques on there with the definition, but how you pronounce it as Jacques. <laughs> Listen, D-Nice, I need you to sit down. Okay, A-A-Ron? Okay, right, sorry for making fun of you. That, that was, was fine. Great. That was fair. That was, Anyways, it, it was warranted. <laughs> it was warranted. I knew that was Jacques. <sighs> did you? I did. I'm French. Listen. I should know. Jacques was more known for his role as vice president of the Nice Rugby Club and was a powerful, powerfully built but reassuring figure. He went to apologize to the crowd, and in a gentle but strong voice said, This is dreadfully inconvenient, but a jam door is not the end of the world. The specialist will be here in a few minutes to deal with the door. I can't tell you how long the job will take, but may I suggest coming back at 2 p.m.? I'm sure everything will be fixed by then. By the time he returned down the stairs, Pierre Bougou, his deputy, was watching the two officials try the lock one last time. Neither Pierre or Jacques seemed worried as the door had jammed once before within its 50-year life, and a simple drop of oil from the locksmith had it in working conditions once more. That seems fair. So if it's 50 like, years old, I mean, oh, sometimes you gotta oil it. I mean, It's old. You gotta, you gotta, you know. It's like my doors. Yeah. My doors squeak all the time. Every couple of months, you gotta hit, hit them with WD-40. They stop yep. squeaking. Sometimes you just gotta lube it up. To loosen it up. Get, yeah, I had to up, man. At 9 a.m., as the employee tried the lock over and over again, Pierre went upstairs to make a phone call. The line was busy, so he calmly picks up the phone, or puts down the phone, and begins to read the newspaper. He reads that two German tourists were shot, and a pimp had been paid 240,000 francs, which is $258,226 in American dollars. Hmm. Uh, he reads, thinking how Nice, France was uh, in the 70s compared to... Chicago in the 30s. Uh, Within two years, yeah, within two years, 12 nightclub owners had been murdered. The town was known as the most corrupted town in France. Uh, He shudders and he thinks about all the crime in the town. Uh, You know, he starts thinking, is it possible at the door? No, they they couldn't have broken in. Uh, There'd be signs on the door if someone had broken in. 
Uh, he tries the phone again, and this time he gets an answer. He tells them that the lock seems to be working, but uh, it's jammed, and he needs somebody to come over as urgently as possible. Dang. Uh, so wow. he's getting like this he, inkling, like he's like, "Oh shit, could something possibly well, happen?" And then he's like, "Nah, that door is, like we said, she thick, she thick." It's yeah, hot. dude, he, he they're so confident in this fucking door, like he knows all the crime around his town. He's like, "But not us." Like, they would never that ain't happening here could you imagine having that much confidence and then but who are you pointing at can you you imagine can you imagine (laughs) though (laughs) fuck (laughs) telling you telling you it's not me it's it's all of us it's all of us all of us every one of us do it (laughs) i will claim i will claim right 100 (laughs) percent. that's me can you imagine it's all of us yep could you imagine saying, can you imagine that much? Yep. Uh, well, what was the what was the <laughs> pimp paid for? So I want to know. Why was That's he paid wild. so much money? For what? Did he shoot someone? Or he was just... Fucking nose dog. I don't know. France is going crazy in the 70s. Definitely yeah. didn't want to be in Nice in Apparently the in nice, 70s. Yeah. They had oh, no Joan of Arc, you know? God. I guess. At 9.15, the two locksmiths pull in, and the two bank directors led them down to the vault door. The locksmiths walked confidently. They went through their routine slowly, listening to the mechanisms. One of the locksmiths turns to Bagoo, explaining the lock is working perfectly. The director asked why it isn't opening, to which the locksmith said, something must be blocking it from the other side. The directors stared in disbelief, thinking it's impossible. The locksmiths then explain that something, that since they can't go through it, They must drill through the wall. They've studied the blueprints of the vault. Once they found the thinnest part, they began drilling. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? God dang it. All of us do it. (laughs) So just think about being like like sitting there and the locksmith all of a sudden is just like, yo, something's blocking your giant ass vault door. And the director's like, no, there can't be like. And it's like, no, no, like, no, that's impossible. You, sir, are incorrect. At 9.30, they began drilling. First, they drilled seven or eight small holes a few centimeters apart. Then they began chiseling. At 12, they had a hole eight inch apart. Now they had to widen the hole for someone to go through. But first, they wanted to peer in. One of the locksmiths stuck his head through the wall and immediately turned to Jock. You've been robbed, he said. Jock began shaking. It's not true, he said twice. They could see bonds, heirlooms, checks, stock certificates, jewelry, and their certificates, and a pair of gas cylinders. The two locksmiths stared at the frozen bank director. Finally, one tells him to call the police. Jacques began madly laughing, saying nobody could know about this, somehow thinking that maybe the intruders just messed the vault up. They tell him again to call the police. And finally, he marched up to his office and called the police, who was only... So the police were only 150 yards away. By the time they arrived, the locksmiths had widened the hole to about 18 inches. The detective made the skinniest policeman go into the hole. The man began squeezing through the hole. He was able to get in with his shoulders, and then he got stuck at the waist. That would suck. Right? That would be the worst. (laughs) As his pants began to tear, he unbuckled his belt and went through in his underwear. Now this guy is just standing around in his underwear. Thinking the thieves may be in the vault, still he drew his gun from his shoulder holster. 
first thing he noticed was the smell of burning rubber and human shit. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> then the tools. Drills, hammers, chisels, blow torches, gas cylinders, gloved and face mask were all left behind. All of the stuff on the floors, such as the stocks, checks, jewelries, and etc., was worth close to $1,750,000, and that is what the thieves left. He moved through the vault with his gun. He was relieved to find out he was alone. One of the safes were pushed away from the wall, and behind it was a hole. One yard wide, and a tunnel that seemed to go on forever. As he turned around, he found a beautifully engraved silver bowl of shit. He ran back to inform that a tunnel was how they got in. Detective realized that the tunnel went to the sewers, where I'm guessing they got all the shit. Yeah, I bet they didn't. I bet they took a dump in that bowl. You know one of those fucking assholes in that group was just like, you know what would be funny? (laughs) You know what would be really funny, guy? Everybody's just staring at him. They're like, no, no, don't do it. Don't do it, Steven. Don't. Don't shit in the bowl. (laughs) Well, I'm imagining the people who own the bowl, right? They have it in their safety deposit box. So they get a call. They find out the bank's been broken into, and they go, hey, good news. They didn't steal your bowl. You still have it. But they took a fat shit in it. But there's fecal and matter up in there. Here's your bowl. Here's your bowl back. Hey, you, have to I, you think of that. I think, I, and I'm not going to say the magical words. I just almost said it, actually. I was about to, but imagine being in the vault. Yeah. Can you think? And your <laughs> right? And your friend you just like, yourself? whips his pants down and is like, hold up, guys. And takes a giant fucking shit I mean, bowl. it was their calling card, maybe. Like the sticky bandits. Like the sticky bandits. They're the wet bandits now, though. <laughs> They're the shit bandits, is what it sounds shit like. Shit bandits. That is. <laughs> I mean, at that least they could be the turd burglars. I mean, you have a story with that bowl now, at least. Like when you pass it on to your grandchildren. Do you pass that on? Think oh, absolutely. That. Think about having that. And you like marry into that family, and you decide like, oh, this bowl is so amazing, and you're you're serving sh- like, shit. <laughs> like you're serving food in it, like your and then your <laughs> in laws come person, over after they the gave it to you as a wedding present. Goes, oh, you know that was in this bank vault that someone shit in. Yeah, I'm also yeah. just imagining basically <laughs> the cop they put through the hole is pretty yeah. much Don. I'm assuming it's like Don Knotts looking dude. right he's got like no they shove him through like there has no he's super scrawny yeah he's got no pants on he's in his underwear he's his guns kidding. out here his arms are shaking back and forth he's freaking like, out like and then he finds a bowl full of shit well maybe maybe he was a smallest one to go through this 18 inch hole so they shove this fucking dude through he loses his pants and they're like all right scout the area out so he pulls his gun out of his shoulder holster and he's walking through there and he's so scared shitless that he finds out that he's alone. He's like, oh, God. Let me just excavate this shit real quick. Yeah, maybe Somebody shit, shit in, in this bowl. fucking bowl. Like, <laughs> But <laughs> there was just, like, shit all over the vault, so. Yeah, maybe he was the one that shit himself. And then he's like, you know? I gotta make this look good. Yeah, I mean, he already he's had like, no I'm pants. I'm gonna smear it everywhere. <laughs> I'm sure and they already hand, stole what? whoever knows how much money, so, yeah, why not just shit in the bowl? They would think that, yeah. I, why I is it on your it? hands? <laughs> so he wipes sure it on his shit, pants. Boss. Like before they come through the the hole, he's like wiping it on his pants. He's like pulls the pants through, and he's like, "Oh, thank God!" You're like, "Oh no, I fell and I, I landed in the shit." 
I landed. I landed in shit. Gives a whole new meaning uh, to shit stain. Uh, outside, uh, close to where the employee parking was, uh, there was a manhole. Two officers went outside to that manhole. Uh, as they went down, they saw an entrance three yards away. They realized someone had done an expert job in uh, digging this this hole. Uh, the roof was reinforced with steel. The walls were cemented. They had entered the tunnel. They began finding more tools left inside the tunnel itself. Once they reached the tunnel, they found like a uh, they found the previous cop that entered in his underwear. Like yeah, so they so basically they went out to where the, he came in. So, so yeah, yeah so they so went basically they went the opposite side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they met up in the middle and they just find this dude with no pants on and he's just shaking there with his fucking what like a thirty eight special revolver. Absolutely. And like probably Again, like box. You're looking at Don Knotts. Just yeah. I mean, he probably just <laughs> shit in that bowl, so now he's looking real sus. What's his What's his character's name in that uh in that show? Barney Andy, Fife. Uh, Barney. Yeah, Barney yeah, Fife. Fife. Yeah, Officer Fife. He got Fife down there, just shit in a bowl. Doesn't want to get you know. You no. Know, hey, we pushed Fife uh, through the hole. His pants ripped on the way through. So don't be surprised if you see a pantsless weirdo down there with a gun. He's just like holding a gun around. Don't shoot him. He's one of ours. <laughs> he's with us. As they began their investigation, they began to start taking photos. They then started collecting evidence, which was overbearing. They found 40 oxygen cylinders, three acetylene torches, nine pinchers, two inflatable dinghies, <laughs> one industrial smoke extractor, 20 jimmies, waterproof overalls, rubber boots, gloves, wine bottles. Well, yeah, you're not doing this sober. That's you gotta a get fact. fucked up before you That's steal a fact. From and the French are gonna, of course, drink wine. I mean, you know, why do it the quick way when you can drink wine? Just, I guess we're slamming bottles of wine to get fucked up. Uh, yeah. Water, portable stoves, food, and boxes and boxes of cigars. Oh, man. Oh, dude, these are my guys. I'm imagining them in like the striped shirts. I mean, they, these are like the most, they got berets <laughs> on, smoking cigars. They're drinking wine down there. They're getting lit. They're just having like, a great oh, we, we, time. Oh, we about to steal from the bank. <laughs> exactly. We. <laughs> Collecting and noting this was called shit detail. That makes sense. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you guys are funny humor. 35 large canvas bags were used collecting all the thieves tools and discarded items from the vault they found interesting things as well photos of orgies with some of the society's elite oh my god so like oh hey Dude. we know you're gonna come down here and find all this stuff so, so by the way gonna... here's a bunch of the the city's elite having orgies we wound up finding this in one of these uh boxes you know someone was saving that for blackmail and that oh, motherfucker, when he found out that they got, like, robbed, he's like, there goes yep. everything. One of the thieves taped photos to the wall. Oh, yeah, so they wanted them to find them. They even found some vaults containing food, such as soup and sugar and chocolate, which is due to some people remembering food shortages due to the war. Oh, that, that makes sense. That's really old, though. Oh, my God. They realized that the reason they couldn't get the vault door to open was because the thieves welded it shut. Oh, my gosh. So... Like, oh, we're going to break in from the other side, and we're going to weld your door shut so you can't get in. The locks are going to work, but you're not going to get in. The parking lot was used to measure the rainfall. The electric cable was plugged into a regular outlet. The power that the thieves used was supplied by the city themselves. As they followed the tools scattered through the sewer maze, they found an underground road that is used for inspections. The road is wide enough for two cars. What the Jesus. fuck? In a sewer? Like, that's a lot of shit. That's crazy to me. They followed the road to find fresh tire marks at the entrance. 
back at the vault, the bank and police were going over a damage assessment. 317 of the 4,000 safety deposit box, the bank treasury holding all the bank's gold reserves and cash, as well as the night's drop-off, were all broken into. They were guessing, but the damage is around is it 60 million francs. Yeah. 60 million francs. So $64 million in the 70s. So $407 million of today's money. A little more than that. It's the biggest bank raid of all time. This heist was planned like a military operation, which left everyone impressed. I mean, I guess you're going to be pissed off, but at the same time, you're like, motherfucker, like they did a good job. Like, damn, they, they did good. This must have taken months to prep, at least 20 men, days of work, and nobody heard or saw a thing. Not a single clue to who did it. One policeman found a message written in large, bold letters on the vault, which read, Come on, man. How the fuck am I supposed to read that? Sans armis ni hine violence. Oh, so why do I have to read the French part? They wrote, without without guns, hate or violence. Well, if you, you would have just read ahead. Yeah, yeah, if you had read that. ahead, you would have known. If you had just read ahead. I saw the French and was like, motherfucker. Do you, do you just, want to know what yeah. it sounds like in French? Because I can pull it up. Is it going to be I the would. hot chick again? It could be. Then I'm down. Let's see. It's a hot chick? I, well, I think so. All I know is the sexiest motherfuckers in this world are on this podcast right here, right now. Let's fucking go. Sans armes et nous violence. Dude, Ooh. hot. Dude, I'd yeah. even fuck her. Right, I mean. Right? <sighs> Love you, Michael. Mm-hmm. Have fun sleeping on the couch tonight. I will. It's very cozy. I'm just kidding. Albert Spaggiari was born in the French Alps in 1932. His father died when he was two and a half years old. His mother moved both of them outside of Toulon. Toulon. Where she where she ran a lingerie store, where she soon married again. Albert hated his stepfather. He didn't quite get along at regular school, so his stepfather sent him to St. Joseph's Private Institute. At 15, he developed a passion for literature, where he mainly read adventure stories and political essays. He became obsessed with Salvatore Giuliano, a Sicilian bandit. At 16, he ran away to Italy, where he was jailed at an immigration control. <laughs> just looking at John over here, just eating. <laughs> Why? What'd I say? You know what, John? You keep doing you, buddy. At 18, he joined the army and went to the Indochina? Indochina. Indochina. God damn it. <laughs> I realized it as I... I know you're loving this, Michael. I just think that it should be you know, Indochina. Indochina. Uh, I'm actually loving this more than anybody because I wrote this and I'm like, it's Indochina. This, and I yeah, listen to all like, you guys, dumb motherfuckers. Fucking thing. I mean, this is Jacob's yeah. first podcast like he's that it. he's researched for us. So and it's, great. it's it's so well written. And I'm just fucking giving it to you, y'all oh. fucking fucks. <sighs> you fucking fucks. Yeah, you fucking fucks making fun of me for saying Queen Anna's. Yeah. Like, I'm going to make sure they say so many fucked up words. Yeah. Jakku <laughs> and whatever the fuck you said about Indochina. Indochina. I don't even know how you pronounce that. I said Indochina. Yep. That, <laughs> that one. <laughs> I can feel the sticker. This is such on. a fucking mess. 
I can feel a sticker coming on. <laughs> At 18, he joined the army and went to the Indochina War. He was assigned to the 3rd Battalion Parachute Corps. He was useful earning three decorations but wouldn't listen, which meant he never got a promotion. He was part of a robbery that landed him four years in jail, but he and his fellow soldiers claimed that they were the ones robbed and just took back what was theirs. With remission, he was out of jail and the army in 1957. He lived a quiet life and married. It seemed like he might actually be settling down, but he grew tired of that. He and his wife ended up taking a boat to a French African colony where he worked as coppersmith in hopes of making large amounts of money. Turns out he had no luck and moved back to France where they settled in Nice. So nobody has any, uh, could you imagine? Well, I mean, it's kind of <laughs> seeming like this guy did it. I mean, seeing, seeing how we're talking about him, he, he leaves goes to a French colony and that shit doesn't work out and he goes home. He was accused of robbery before. Right. Sounds you know, like he was a badass who didn't want to listen to the rules. No, he didn't rob, didn't you hear? He said that he got Right, robbed. right, right. And all those guys on death row didn't do it either. So. Exactly. I mean, 1% of them probably didn't. 1% probably didn't, yeah, but the other 99, they also didn't. <laughs> I mean, exactly. I mean, as, soon, as soon as I read that, he's like, we didn't do it. We got robbed, assholes. I was like, yeah, that's... a Bullshit. Exactly. Paid off. It did pay off. He got away with it, didn't he? But we're talking about him, so did he? Sure fucking did. Well, in that moment. For a little bit, anyway, it sounds like. Just you fucking wait. He said about like nine pages to go. Or eight, something like that. Who's keeping math? That is probably my new favorite thing of all time. Who's, who's keeping, keeping math? math? Hey, who's keeping math of this score right now? Hey, you know what, man? I said that foolhardily, knowing it was is going to sound stupid. It you, sound John, stupid. It and Michael amazing. laughed, and Stephen was like, "Oh yeah." So I was like, like yeah. I'm glad I made you guys laugh, but Stephen was like, "Fuck oh, yeah, I can do that." I'm so on like, that. Yeah, I was like, who is keeping math? I'm gonna. I'm, <laughs> who is fucking keeping math? You know no, Stephen, right. dude. Oh, got you, bro. I have a whole thing on my phone now of stupid history on tap shit that we say. <laughs> I don't you know, I'm kind of scared that in like, I don't know, two months or so, I'm we're going to have a bunch of shirts and it's just going to be the stupid fucking shit I say. <laughs> so is, is he in the garage with you or he is? I heard people opening the door. I heard him open the first door. He has not opened the second door. So That's it's either him weirder. or it's a ghost. Or it's a ghost. Should you should check? name the ghost. The ghost is probably I... Pamela. I'm not naming the ghost. That's rude. How about know. you set your microphone down and just walk off and let us let us see if we hear anything. Okay, yeah. That's actually a good idea. Let me do that. I swear to God, if we hear some shit. Nothing. Wow. Pamela obviously isn't there tonight. My name's Bethany, you fuckers. Yeah, no, I'm talking about John's ghost. Her name is Pamela. Pretty sure it's Bethany. Maybe there's two. Maybe there's Pamela and Bethany. I thought his name was Ryan. Oh, he has three ghosts? Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, fuck. I mean, who yeah. else are Bethany and Pamela going to fight over? Ryan. Oh, so it's a love triangle ghost Obby. situation. Obby. Yeah, dude. Okay. And like he's got a thing. nice, clear, wispy or, cock. Or maybe... <laughs> maybe Ryan happens to actually be gay and they're all trying to fight over John. Oh fuck. Could be. Could be. I just killed Jacob. Yeah, there's nothing like just spitting water and dip everywhere. That was awesome. <laughs> no, that's at this point, the wind of change had begun in Africa. Uh, French Algeria went into war as the Algerian-born whites fought against this position. Albert joined the OAC, an illegal right-wing movement in support of the white Algerians. They carried out various missions like helping fugitives escape police, assassinations, and funding bank raids. Spagiari went and uh, went to join a group, Commando Delta, which carried out the assassinations, but they thought he was not to be trusted. In March of 1962, police raided a villa. God damn it. Villa. It's the partial villa. Uh, police raided a <laughs> villa <laughs> in an expensive resort close to Nice. Inside, they found a printing, pre- uh, printing press used to print leaflets for the OAC and, on, and an arms cache. Spaggiari was arrested and sentenced to four years. His comrades were given probation. He was freed in 1966 and returned to home in Nice. So, but even the shitty guys didn't trust him. Yeah, well, right. like he was not trusted by anyone. Even the people yeah, who no. were murdering people were like, uh, "This guy's sketchy." <laughs> yeah, but but like, here's the thing too. That's what I got from this paragraph was like, yeah, they didn't trust him. And when they raided that house and found the printing press for all the leaflets and the arms cache, he was sentenced to four years, and everybody else was like, "Yeah, you just get probation." So they kind of throw him under the bus, maybe? Pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty much. much. That's what like, I got dude, from that. Fuck this guy. At this point, he grew an interest in photography and opened a shop. He spent his evenings in bistros and bars talking with old OAC members or comrades from Vietnam. Oh, so he's a Vietnam vet, too. Yeah, when sure. he was a paratrooper. Yeah. Para- okay, but I didn't realize. I probably should have put it together. It was Vietnam. Duh. He joined another right-wing organization, the Bizarre... SS Weapons Brotherhood. Oh my god. <laughs> Dude, this guy has like <laughs> issues. My god. Yeah, where he left to Munich, of of course, the center of Germany's neo-Nazism. Oh, fuck, man. He claimed he was going to learn German with the intent of becoming a professional translator. Right, because you have to join the SS to be a translator. But Probably. never tried to get a job as a translator. Nor became fluent in German. He just wanted to be a Nazi. It is believed he went to increase his contacts in the right-wing organizations all over Europe. And even had dealings with the CIA. Well, that's fair, I guess. He was in touch with the Italians' neo-fascists and is suspected of being involved in arms smuggling. That's the least of their worries, realistically. (laughs) In 1969, when Russian tanks rolled through the streets of Prague, Spagiari was in Czechoslovakia with a false identity, papers, and a forged press card. So this guy is really starting to sound like he is the worst of the worst. Dude, whenever I put Czechoslovakia in there, I was like, one of you fucks is going to fuck this up so bad. But of course, we give it to John, and he just nails that bitch. 
I'm just Did like, you just call it Sexolovakia? Sex in the Vakia. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay. Well, I yeah. heard Sexolovakia. He showed talent in photography. He went to North Africa, spending some time in the Sahara Desert with the nomads. Photography gave him access to the higher status of Nice and even became a semi-official photographer for the town. He secured his position by being a big spender, leaving legendary tips. Yeah, well, if they could see his SS tattoos and lightning bolts, you know, probably not. He bought a farmhouse and spent months fixing it up. On the wall, he hung weapons, though he never used them. If a rabbit was destroying his garden, he would leave it be. If his wife wanted a chicken for dinner, he made her take it to town butcher. He also had a picture of Hitler on the wall and SS emblems. This motherfucker. <laughs> Bro. Wow. In 1974, Bagiari rented a safety deposit box and the Societe Generale. Thank you. Societe Generale. It was said that the first time he walked in, he immediately thought he was going to rob this place. So this motherfucker is like, so he's been planning it since 1974 not just that we completely skipped over the fact that supposedly he has a wall full of guns and he's like you know what if there's a rabbit chewing up my garden i'm not gonna kill it i'm not even gonna kill the chicken i'm gonna make my wife drive it all the way to town have the butcher kill it but he's got pictures of hitler on his wall he's like yeah chicken's not my thing Killing Jews? Mm-hmm. I'm all about totally it. Totally fine, yeah. Chickens and rabbits? It's like, it's like oh, leave the poor harmless animals alone. Like, oh, shit alone. <laughs> you sounded like Mrs. Doubtfire for a second yeah. there. Shit <laughs> <laughs> alone. Leave the animals alone. There we go. Put the people. Kill those bitches. Yeah, Can you guess what his favorite ice cream is? His favorite ice cream? Yeah. Tagen das. <laughs> I see what you did there. This is bad. This guy is. He's a fucking prick. He's yeah. wild. He's but, like, I'm vegan, know. but I'm going to eat some cheese. I'm going to tell you a little bit, man. He sounds, sounds like a fuckhead cool. right now. But, but the I'm... further we go on, you might actually like this fucking dude. I mean, Am I? Because right now it sounds like he's a neo-Nazi who's murdered a bunch of people. He, he, he absolutely want to kill the animals. He, he left the bunnies alone. I did... I, so now that I'm thinking about it, there was a part that I skipped that was kind of pertinent to the story, I guess. Uh, he, when he was part of the OAC, uh, the assassination group, the Delta, whatever the fuck they were, he was like tasked with assassinating one of like the higher ups, and he was literally like ten yards away from him inside a, a storefront, and he just couldn't pull the trigger. Why? Was the guy not Jewish or something? I have no idea, exactly. but maybe that's why they Racist. didn't trust him. He's like, that guy's got blonde hair, blue eyes. I just can't yeah. do it. Yeah, I just can't do it. He's one of the Ariani. <laughs> I just can't pull the trigger. <laughs> this is like Ace Ventura. I just can't do it, Captain. All right, so we've talked about the man behind the, uh, the heist. Now we're going to go into the uh, whole planning up to it. <clears throat> So the vault held seven armored cabinets containing 4,000 boxes. Each box needed two keys to get in. One was operated by the customer, and the other was operated by the bank employee. Each time a customer wanted to get into the box, they had to sign a log and be escorted to their box. 
After they opened the box, uh, the bank employee would leave the customer alone. You know, they had like the privacy laws or whatever. Uh, well, not laws, but more uh, rules, I guess. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I guess the way of calling it. The code. The privacy it was, policies. It's like a policy. The there you go. Privacy you go. policy. Thank you, Stephen. I got you, buddy. Uh, the customer could stay as long as they would like. When they would, uh, when they closed their box, it locked automatically. Spaggiari claimed that uh, the thought of robbing the bank developed each time he went in until he believed he can it can actually be done. Though it was said that many times he lied later on. Uh, he said every time he went down to the vault, he learned more about it. He paced the size of the room, made drawings, he took for uh, photographs, and nobody seemed to mind. He was asked. Um, or he was, yeah, he was asked how he knew there was no alarm. He said that he brought an alarm clock with a very loud ring to it. He placed it in his locker to go off at 1 a.m. At 1 a.m., he was sitting across the street until 2 a.m., and nothing happened. The next day he went, and the alarm clock was still there. Uh, all of these were quickly dismissed because there was, or when the logs were checked, Spaggiari went into the vault only twice. Uh, the first uh, time he went in, it was when he rented the box. The second was four months later in January of 1975. So they have no logs of him going in various times and doing all this shit. So if, if he went in, either he put the alarm clock in when he got the box or like, you know, four so he didn't fucking go, He didn't go later. back the next day like he said he did. Right. But he, like he said, he claimed he went in there like time after time after time. He paced it out and took photographs. And they're like, well, did you? Um, after this was pointed out, uh, he came up with another story. He said that he had a neighbor that asked that worked with the bank, and the bank employee was a bull's fool uh, about working at the bank. Uh, bit by bit, Spaggiari would get the info out of him uh, about the layout, the content of the vault, uh, without the employee knowing what he was doing. So he was like trying to sweet talk this fucking dude into it. Spaggiari named the cashier, and uh, it turns out he actually did work there, but he passed um, a little after the bolt robbery he passed uh the thought of uh, an inside uh, informant wasn't out of the question spaggiar also had to know the weight of the cabinets that he had to push out of the way to gain access to the vault he claimed that he simply asked a guard whenever he was going to his uh lock box so he's walking down the vault and like, oh, how like, much hey, this way yeah out of curiosity man how much that way the the guard was like oh you know it weighs this much um so this part of the story is thought to be true probably because it happened on his second visit to the vault. Uh, there is no question, however, how he gained knowledge to the sewer system of the bank. Blueprints in France, they're available to the public at the town hall. So like, you can go and be like, hey, you know, I, just, I need this or that, and they will just openly give it to you, which is, to me, is fucking insane. But you got to, like, it's 1970s, so who knows? So he, he actually walked into the town hall, and he claimed he was going to open an underground club, and... Um, he he needed to know like where the sewer system ran so he didn't interfere with that. So oh. whenever he told them this, the the town halls, they were like, yeah, fuck yeah, we can do that for you. And they gave him blueprint copy number 16, and it was drawn to the scale of one one thousand. Uh, so he had a, a map to the city. A very intricate map. Yeah, of the whole sewer system. And uh, with the blueprint, he was able to find the shortest route from the underground road, which is the one we talked about, that two car wide fucking road he was able to find the shortest route from that to the bank vault uh then he checked every route by foot he claimed he spent six nights in the sewers just walking around until he knew every step 
um, every corner turn, whatnot. And if he would get lost, he would just find the sewer or the, the closest manhole and he would climb up. Apparently he would just peek up and be like, Oh, this is like fucking 14th street and jot it down. So he would know where he was at. Yeah, well, how I long could... does it take realistically to walk around a few blocks and mark stuff down? Probably, like you said, half a day, a day tops, probably. Well, I mean, like, if if you're going to map the whole sewer system, I bet it would take four well, whole sewer, But, but, but if the you have the blueprints, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, you're probably spending half a day to be like, okay, I know we come down here, we take this turn or whatever, and we're right there. Because you have, you, you have a fucking map. Not to mention this guy was a paratrooper. He was in... A basically neo-Nazi murder cult. So I mean, he's got <laughs> training. Like he knows, he knows what he's doing. Like he's not a dumb guy. He's a weirdo and a bad guy, but he's not a dumb yeah. guy. I can accept that he like went down there in the sewers to map it out. I don't think he was down there for six fucking days. No, doesn't that doesn't seem reasonable to me? Especially if you have a fucking map. In 1976, Spaggiari got in contact with the mob organization. The gang was interested in the plans and agreed to go over the plans, but they had an issue. Their tunneling expert, known as the Mason, was in jail, and he needed to be sprung at Spaggiari's expense for this plan to work. He forked over $6,200, to which the Mason was quickly freed. That's not that much, considering how much they're going to gain. Right, yeah. right. The team then went back to, gain, to make a plan with Spaggiari and the Mason. The mason explained, or examined the soil, and said that this needs to be reinforced. The mob liked the plan, but did not like Spaggiari. They ended up turning him down, but allowed him to utilize the mason. Now he needed to put together a team. So all that effort, and the mob was like, they go, we're not going to be involved, but the mason's allowed to help. Since you yeah, freed him, we'll probably, let you help him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cause, Probably because you know, he forked up the money. They were like, okay, yeah. so if you paid for us to get him out, like, here he is. You can use him. Yeah. But, like, but we you were not involved. If you, if you notice, a, like, a pattern going on, this is, like, the third organization that's like, you know what, man? You're kind of a dicey guy. Yeah. yeah. We don't like you. No, no. I caught that uh, straight away when the army was like, no, he's great, but he doesn't listen. <laughs> And then the murder cult, the neo-Nazi murder cult was like, this guy fucking, we don't, we don't trust this guy. <laughs> you got to keep calling the murder cult. So it just makes it that much more insulting. They're like, the murder cult. Yeah. Those guys yeah. are like, yeah, we're a cult. But fuck this guy. He's fucking crazy. Well, yeah. When Hitler's disciples are like, well, this guy's not right. Once he had a team, his next task was to gather the equipment. He did this with extreme caution. He forced his men to buy everything one at a time from various shops. He was furious when he found out one of the men bought three flashlights at one time. He bought cement, wooden planks, and metal beams for the tunnel, various digging tools, even a laser that would cut through four inches of concrete every minute, and a industrial smoke extractor to keep the tunnel breathable while they worked. Spaggiari bought everything you could think of from all over Europe in small quantities and only in large department stores. He insisted that leaving all of these various tools would leave the police working to no result, trying to uncover this. Yeah, this is exactly sense. what happened. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. You go to Walmart for duct tape. You go to, you know, H-E-B for lube. You go, I mean, it's... Right. You go to Lowe's for rope. I mean... You, 
If you go hey, John, to all these different places just, and you get one thing. It's, we're talking about a heist, and it sounds like you're talking more about a fucking oh, rape. Oh, I was just... Orgy? Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, that sounds like and, Saturday night know, for us. We're talking about, like, hammers and chisels, and you're like, yeah, fucking yeah. rope, duct tape, and lube. Oh. I was going to say, that sounds like tomorrow, right, babe? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't see what the problem is. That sounds is like a common Jesus. Saturday night for us gays. <laughs> he now needed to store everything he bought. He borrowed a villa outside of Nice. He could have stored everything at his farm, but thought the villa was safer. Which was a mistake. A wife had acknowledged that her husband had put a mistress in a villa. They were also watching another villa for a friend that lived quite far from town. Nobody was supposed to be occupying... Sorry. No one was supposed to be occupying it, so they were asked to go check on it at the time to make sure it hadn't been broken into. One weekend, the husband out of town for work and the wife noticed the key to the villa they were supposed to be watching was missing. Her immediate thought was that he didn't go out of town for work. The wife was like, motherfucker, you took those keys and you're supposed to be working? I know what you're doing over there. (laughs) Yeah. Instead, he was at the villa with another mistress. That dirty bastard. She drove to the villa and, and parked some ways away. She noticed that the shutters were open and that was enough for her. She drove home and decided to embarrass her husband. She dialed their friend that owned the villa. She asked if she was currently renting it. When he said that it was not, she said she had happened to be driving by and the shutters were open. She lied, saying that she had the key, but her husband was out of town on work, so he could not go check it out. The owner said that she would not send the police. Once the police got there, they noticed nobody was there, but the shutters and the windows to the garage were open. They looked inside and saw a brand new car. They took down the license plate and left. Later, they decided to return. This time, someone was there. As they pulled in, they found four men sitting on the step and two new cars. They asked the men what they were doing, to which they replied that they had rented the villa. The police told them they had talked to the owner and knew that they did not rent the villa, that in fact nobody was to be there. The men then changed their story, saying that they did not rent the villa from the owner, but their friend rented it, for them and that they were waiting for him to bring the key. The police told them to take them to their friend and they drove to the jail to the jealous wife's house. Once they got there, they found out the wife was in tears. Bagiari's men explained that they rented the villa from her husband and were waiting for him to bring the key, same as they told the police. Her son phoned, her son phoned for his dad. As his dad came through the door, one of the Spagiari's men quickly whispered something to the husband, and the husband gave the exact same story that the other men did. The police were still unsure of the situation. They kept the case open, but nothing came of it since no illegal activity seemed to be present. Again, some super sketchy shit. Yeah, that all seems real, real sketchy. And all comes down to one of his men being an idiot. Mm. and being a bad liar basically he's a bad cheater he's a real bad cheater if you're gonna do it be smart about it at least (laughs) exactly well i mean like so he he didn't um he at this at this time he wasn't cheating 
So well, no, but this is one of his guys. It sounds like was cheating. Was it well, was one it of his guys Albert, was or was it? That's what I'm saying. No, it was so one of guy, his guys. So the wife, she had caught yeah. him cheating before, and so now right. like they're supposed to be watching a villa for and the now friend. She's overly suspicious. And so at the time, he had to go to out. He really had to go out on work for business. But Spadgiar was planning this whole heist. He needed the headquarters. So he was like, yeah, you know what? I'm watching a villa for my friend. Nobody's going to know. You just take this key and and you go hang out at this villa. And the wife took it as the key is gone. And she's like, this motherfucker's fucking cheating again. So she goes yeah, over all there. All she and does is she's like, the blinds are open. Motherfucker. All it was, the blinds are open, and she's like, "That's it, calling the cops." Yeah, well, I mean, like maybe, maybe like the owner, like the actual owner of the villa, was like, you know, just like keep the blinds down. What and... if it makes sense? If it's a rental, it, the blinds would probably be closed unless somebody was in there, right? And she's I already caught him once. So. Yeah, I guess, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not like he really. I mean, he fucked up before the job came. Yeah. Yeah. But not in this sense, you know. He was just going to work <laughs> and she was like this right. bitch <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, he's like i'm just doing my job girl calm down what he should have done is like he could have had a legitimate job he didn't have to be a know, criminal just smacked around a little bit and like bitch stay quiet we're gonna make the some 70s money. this yeah. was the 70s you could still do that yeah so it was more not like this it was more like that's right stay yeah. quiet close fist <laughs> yeah no no backhand yeah. oh yeah it, they, it was... they absolutely did close fist yeah this isn't France, was too. France. So was, this isn't the yeah, U.S. You yeah. know, this isn't, you know. Yeah. Not oh, the same. Wow. Not the same. Also, he was in a neo-Nazi murder cult. So <laughs> hitting the wife actually... probably real low down on the scale of things he feels bad about. <laughs> they actually called it the neo-Nazi murder cult. Right. Yeah. It wasn't OAC. It was really the neo-Nazi murder cult. Uh, yeah. So after the wife went and flipped her shit for i mean i guess she had decent reason she had a reason yeah i mean like she didn't know that's the husband's fault he should have told her uh they began um the whole execution of the matter they had the equipment they had the dudes they had the the jealous bitch um and now <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong uh, digging the tunnel from the sewer to the bank vault took most of May and June. So, like, these dudes are digging Whoa. for, like, months. Multiple months. Two men dug the tunnel, one digging and the other moving the de uh, debris back. Uh, a third would carry the loose debris to a blind dead end. The tunnel was only two feet across. Like, it's slim. That, that's... If you are uh, claustrophobic... You're not the man for the job. Spaggiari insisted that the tunnel, um, the tunnel had had to look exactly like the city or a phone company did it. So he made them paint it like exactly the entrance, uh, so it wouldn't like be inconspicuous. You know, they had to like shape it out. They had to paint it up. Uh, otherwise, like somebody going to do inspections, they would see it. And be like, like, hey, why is this random new it? tunnel down here? Yeah. Oh, did y'all see this? Like, it's not even. It's not even painted it or nothing. Doesn't show that's up a, on our maps. That's a big ass gophers down here. Yeah, yeah, no shit. It's the uh, the mole man from the Incredibles. Incredibles. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, John. Or my dude, my uh, kids. I was thinking Incredibles all the time. Or from Atlantis. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, mole who never bathes. 
Get your grubby little fingers off of that. Who was also French. (laughs) Yeah, he was French. That's true. Mason was a professional and found that his talents brought a higher paying job that were more on the illegal side. So he he figured out pretty fast, like, hey, man, these these dudes doing sketchy shit make way more money than just, like, building old Karen's fence back up. Spaggiari often brought food and wine for the workers digging uh, the tunnel. So, like, he's making them feel at home and whatnot. Uh, he may then turn on the drills as he went up to the top to make sure no one can even hear the sounds uh, on the street. So he's doing everything he can. He's bringing these dudes food, wine, and as they're digging, he'd go up to the street level, make sure nobody's hearing shit. This dude's covering all tracks. Digging at the front of the tunnel was extreme work. One man passed out. Another began shaking violently and throwing up. After that, Spaggiari enforced a strict uh, regime. Each crew would only work uh, once every three days. They had to refrain from drinking uh, alcohol and caffeine, as well as get 10 hours of sleep before going down. He brought tranquilizers, uh, heart stimulants. Each pair had to work for 10 minutes and break for 10 minutes. Like, dude, fuck this. At this point, I'm probably out. Like, I'm not the man for the job if I'm digging down there. This is too fucking much. Like, you're going to bring me a tranquilizer? For what? Yeah. All right, time to go to sleep, Bobby. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> And then he gives All you right, a man. heart booster. He's like, all right, time to wake up, Bobby. Yeah, dude, no shit. He hits you with a tranquilizer. You're laying there with your 10 hours. As soon as his alarm goes off, he just hits you with fucking just shit straight in the fucking chest. Like, yeah. here he goes. Back to digging, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, then he brought down a smoke extractor to keep the air clear. He also set up a lookout system. There were two men on separate sides of the sewers. Uh, one man saw danger. If one man saw danger, they would blow a whistle on one side of the tunnel, let the men know to exit the opposite side. Finally, one night on the first week of July, they struck the vault wall. They cleared out a three uh, an area three foot across. The mason finished putting the concrete walls and reinforcing everything. Now it was all ready. It's all secure. It's not going to crumble in. And uh, their set date was Friday, July sixteenth. So we're getting to the meat and potatoes. I don't know, man. I, I still like if this dude's like, hey, man, dig for 10 minutes, sleep or, you know, hang out for 10 minutes, dig for 10 minutes and then uh, sleep for 10 fucking hours. And by the way, this is a horse tranquilizer. So you're going to have to take that. You're definitely taking your 10 hours. That's fair. Yeah, dude. That's <laughs> that's brutal talk. Friday at 10.30 p.m., four of them, including Spaggiari, drove to the underground tunnel. They eagerly talk about Tour de France hiding their nerves. Oh, okay, so they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, Lance Armstrong's riding tonight. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, like, just trying to ignore the fact that they're going to break into the most secure bank in France, essentially. Well, allegedly. Allegedly. Like, they're, alleged, they're, they're just so confident in the safe itself. They're just like, yeah, nobody's coming in. Yeah, exactly. The driver flashes his lights. Two long, one short. The moment passes as they see lights flash up ahead. Two long, one short. It just seems like the oldest little drug deal thing in the book. Like, hey, it's 1030 at night. We're the only cars here. Do we really have to flash our lights? Especially well, in yeah. It's It's 1030 at night. You're having to like... There's but anybody who sees it at. now is going to be like, that seemed oddly specific. I bet something's going on over there. Like, if I saw that now, I'd be like, that's a drug deal. Yeah, like, let's go the opposite some, way. Something's happening over there. It's 76, dude. Like, they don't fucking know. That's fair enough. I mean, there's no one, like, there's no one else on the road. 
I mean, like, forget that they're in the most, like, corrupted town in France. But... Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. It was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> forget it's drug-riddled, and it's like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Gangster Squad movie. Pretty much. They pulled down the access ramp into the riverbed. A man walking with the flashlight moved the barrier. When, one man pulls out a radio. The move is complete, he says. In response, they hear, send me the furniture. They go over the plan once more. They continue driving down the underground road. The headlights pick up a group of men waiting. They slow down, and they get all of the equipment ready. In a nearby hotel room, a doctor was sitting in an armchair on standby. He was on call for the next 60 hours. Holy shit. He lost his license due to illegal abortions. (laughs) Damn. He mainly worked with the mob whenever a gunshot wound couldn't go to the hospital or police. I mean, that... Okay. I was about to so, say he sounds like a stand-up guy, but... Hey. See what you did there. Spaggiari didn't tell him what was going on, but he did tell him he may be helping with asphyxiation, claustrophobia, and mechanical injury. The doctor didn't want to know the details. On Monday morning, he would take his money, go home, and suffer selective amnesia. That sounds like a smart doctor. A van parked on the road and pretended to be with the electric company. Inside it had gas cylinders and a lever rated for 60 tons. They lowered everything through the manhole closest to the bank. Underground, the men pulled out the loading ramp and began transferring the equipment. Spaggiari was personally shaking the hands of each man. The mason stopped the convoy at the entrance of the tunnel as he rolled out a rope carpet. Rope rope carpet? What's a rope carpet? I don't know what I was typing there. I'll pull, <laughs> no, no, basically it looks, it sounds like it's some rope that you, to make easier to drag the equipment. So it's like a piece of rope that you put on the ground. So it's big enough to put something on and you oh, can drag okay. it. Okay. If I had read. It's like, it's like a rope further. sled almost. Had I Maybe. read a little bit further, it would have made more sense. Anyways, he rolled out a rope carpet that would make it easier to drag the equipment through the narrow tunnel. The boats went back to grab more equipment. In the next 60 minutes, one ton of equipment was transferred and unloaded. That's a lot of fucking equipment. Like, yes, one it is. ton of shit, just of acetylene torches and levers and what else do they I think, have? I think you people know. take for granted when you say, when you throw numbers out there, like one ton. 2,000 pounds of equipment. When you're looking at a lot of these pieces of equipment only weigh like two pounds, three pounds. Right. A lot of these, they're not huge pieces of equipment. They're little things. No, three flashlights was one of the things that one of the guys picked up. And well, he I mean, got like, just put that. into like, put in like to account. Like if you go to Home Depot and you're like, damn, I just loaded like 300 pounds of sand. It's a lot of fucking sand. Yeah, the bags, absolutely. Like you're fucking just like, oh, every 50 pounds. It's like, Jesus, fuck. It's only like, you know, six bags. Very true. Now you got, you know, one ton of shit, just various items. And they're probably awkward as fuck to carry too. Right. Mm-hmm. You ever carried a tor- acetylene torch? Like, it's just fucking heavy. And it's weird. Saturday, 1.30 a.m. The mason <laughs> and another wayside by the side drilling. The floodlights and the drills made, their, made the air hot. Everyone was swearing profusely. I mean... Probably. I'd probably be swearing profusely. Sweating and swearing profusely. <laughs> It's fucking hot True. down here, god damn it. <laughs> that shit's not right. <laughs> the, mo- the, the most. 
The smoke extractor was running at full strength. The wall was one foot thick, but they were halfway through. They drilled 14 holes in four inches intervals. Spagari, that's not how we say his name. Spagari, <laughs> I can't even. Spagiari was handing out towels and water. One man crawled in to begin chiseling and began taking turn. Other men were hauling the debris away. The masons and Spagiari began calmly talking about what they were missing on TV. Spagiari called a break as he began making coffee for everyone. Earlier, the men were upset that the men were upset that they couldn't use the laser to get through the concrete wall like was planned. Spagiari said that it wasn't possible. It would create too much heat and gas to safely use in such a confined space. They calmly talked and drank their coffee. He had brought the machine to keep spirits. He had only brought this machine to keep spirits, and as Spagiari thought, they were close to now for men to quit. Yeah, so he, he like he brought the laser. He knew that it would create too much heat and gases that everybody would start passing out. You know, from this thing, it's gonna be too dangerous. He he really only brought it to keep spirits high, and knowing bringing it in at the last minute, that they would all think, "Well, we're too close now. We can't just give up because we can't use a fucking laser." Yeah. Like, so he he pretty much like honey dicked them. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, we got this badass laser. They get down there work, and they're like, "Oh, but we can't actually use it because it's too dangerous." Yeah, and he's like, "Well, do you want to quit now?" And they're like, "Well, fuck, that's the volt." Ball right there, so I like guess we've we'll been just here for two months. Going. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like two months of fucking digging, and they're like, "Well, we're already at the bolt wall, so do we just back out now, or now I guess we'll just fucking keep going?" <laughs> they're like, "Let's just keep going, man." Which it's fucked up, but I get his his. Uh, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, he he's he's smart in the the honey dicking world, right? They're like, "We're so close. Let's uh, just finish it, dude." Asshole. First off, again, neo-Nazi murder cult. He's not a nice guy. <laughs> Saturday at 10.30 a.m., the chisels were all blunt and the men were tired. The, ma- the mason wearily got up and continued to chisel away. At 4 p.m., the mason was going at it like a madman. They said it seemed the chisel was welded to his hand. As concrete was coming off piece by piece, finally, in a crazed state, he swung with all his might. The chisel went through, and the force of the hammer also hit his thumb. He screamed in agony and passed out. Like this dude swung. Been like hammering a for six and a half hours. He nails his thumb and he's like, the body was like, lights out, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> he's just out, like, out cold. Uh, he, yeah. He must have hit that motherfucker hard. I've hit my thumb before. I ain't passed out. No, yeah, never passed out from it. Uh, Spagiari grimaced at the side of his thumb, uh, but hit him with the uh, novocaine. The second life went through the men as they knew they were through. As Spagiar appeared through the hole, he could see the back of the safe. 30 tons is what the guard said. So remember earlier, he asked the guard like yeah. how much the, the safe weighed. 30 tons is what it was. And he brought a hydraulic lever that was rated for 60 tons. Uh, they set the lever up and began to pump. Once the lever was wedged against the back of the safe, Spagiar and, and another let go. So, like... They're just carrying this, this heavy bitch, just pumping it. And they're like, well, it's, it might be enough. And they're like weirdly letting it go. Like, maybe. Like, we're going to check it, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, the other continued to pump. Spaggio already calculated. Like, so, again, like I mentioned earlier, like, he might be seem kind of crazy. This guy is actually kind of fucking smart. That's what I said. He's not a dummy. Like, no, not at all. He's an asshole, but he's not a dummy. So he, he calculated that the save had to be moved 20 inches. If it moved more than, like, that, it would tip over. Um, so they started pumping, and he moved it 21 inches. Just just gave it a little bit. So it's right there on the verge. He stuck between the wall and the safe. The lever pumped exactly 21 ch- inches. Uh, once the go-ahead was given, they slowly released the lever. The safe slowly tilted back to rest against the prop, which was like, I think it was a piece of wood, if I remember correctly. So, like, they pumped this dude, like, a 60-ton lever. They were like, that's enough, and we're going to stick this plank of wood to hold this, this fucking 30-ton safe. The ball it dude. holds. I can tell you right now, I'm not the first going through. Oh, no. Dude, <laughs> 30 tons resting on a plank of wood, you can suck my dick. I, there's no way I'm going through that fucking wall first. No, I'm not even the second. I might be, like, the sixth. Fuck that. Could you imagine going through... Fuck me. I said it. <laughs> God damn it. Could you ever relevant in your head going through this wall, the first Could you one? you put yourself in that situation? <laughs> and the fucking plank just like, blah! And the wall just smashes you, dude. Nope. Not me. Um, yeah, so they put it back on this fucking prop, and it creaked again. I'm just like, ah! But it held its weight. But Spaggiari was the one that crawled through first. Like he was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm yeah, that, that's the rule. It. You don't ask anyone to do something that you yourself have not done or would not be willing to do yourself. Yeah. So yeah, he uh, props to that dude because he wasn't digging. He didn't do shit. He let all these guys do the work, but he went through probably the toughest part, which is the first one going through this creaky ass propped open safe. Like that's thirty tons. Keep in mind. Uh, yeah. So he went first into the vault. The welder quickly squeezed through the hole with his torch and ran to the door. He welded it shut in case someone tried to come through unexpected. Another covered the door frame with plastic cement filling the cracks. That way no light, smoke, or noise would go outside. Spagiari turned the lights on, signaling the rest can enter. They used the torches to melt the safes and used a crowbar to get in. One moment, the team were working together quietly, understanding the situation, and the next, they were all laughing uncontrollably. I mean, that actually seems kind of normal. Like, what other reaction would you have if you've been working for two months to get in here? You finally get in, and you just have millions of dollars worth of shit just sitting in front of you. I mean, like, I can see it. So, like, imagine if all four of us, right, we broke into, a like, a, a bank or a vault, and, like, we knew our job. So we're going and we're snapping doors open. And let's say just one of us makes, probably me, makes a dumb joke about breaking into this vault. And then we all just, like, it hits us. Yeah, Like, we're actually fucking doing this. Thing. Actually doing it. They finally realized it was happening. Months of digging and prepping, and they were finally in. Sounds like a good first date. Casually helping themselves <laughs> to gold bars and money. <laughs> they began throwing stocks, bonds, and money into the air like confetti. Spaggiari and the Mason finally went away and sat on the side watching them live in the moment. After a bit, Spaggiari calmly talked to the men and told them to take a break, and it was time for dinner. Bacon, soup, salami, goose liver, and much more was all being prepped. Wine bottles were being opened and poured into heirlooms. 
one man was looking at pornographic photos, drinking wine, and decided to stick them to the wall. I mean, why not? Spaggiari joked to the mason, hey, waiter, how about some coffee? Knowing he couldn't do more to his thumb. Coming right up, sir, he replied, as Spaggiari started handing out cigars and cigarettes. Man, that sounds like a party. Yeah, uh, I don't, yeah, I didn't think I came into this earlier, but those pornographic photos, and I might have, like, dropped it later on, but they, they broke into a safe that had, like, orgy photos of yeah, all, like, the elites. high ups, yeah, in the city. Yeah, so it was, like, wasn't shit that he brought along. He was, like, Hustler magazine in his back pocket, and he just, like, busts out, like, hell yeah, brother. No, he, like, broke into a vault, and it was, like, Jesus Christ, that's the mayor? <laughs> Hell yeah! It just slapped that, Slap that up the there. Yeah. Suddenly, they heard noises coming from the night drop safe. Spaggiari saw a white Rolls Royce pull up, and three men nervously walked to the drop. They were dropping off the takings of a casino. They opened the box and dropped it in with relief, thinking it was safe. Little did they know, it fell right into the waiting arms of Spaggiari. Everyone laughed as he thanked them. He counted it, and it was almost one million franc. They began again. Once again, he enforced breaks and shift. Wow. So the mob just dropped a million dollars in his hands. Pretty much. This dude's like, hey, man, appreciate it. <laughs> no, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Jesus. That's so fucking nuts, <laughs> man. I, I couldn't just... I would be so glad if I'm just sitting there and the dude drops like $1,000 in my hand. More or less a million. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, appreciate it. Cool. (laughs) Hey, thanks. Doing great. So, Sunday, 10 p.m. The jeweler came in and began throwing stones and black velvet bags. They could hear him muttering how much each bag was as he loaded them up. Thousands and thousands of francs. Spaggiari assigned four men to sort out the rest of the loot. Others were Bagging it up, some men were asking if they really had to leave all of the tools. Spaggiari said, well, what else would you do with them? Sell them on the flea market? Yeah, you're really worried about going to making 40 <laughs> bucks at the pawn yeah. shop when you're taking away <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars. Millions, yeah, millions. And you're worried about a $40 tool? Hey, man, do I really have to leave that fucking crowbar that we bought like a week ago? Oh, that so might I, I, just, I just bought those channel locks and fuck you, leave them. <laughs> I just, they were 30 bucks, bro. Monday, 5 a.m., Spaggiari signaled it was time to go. They were frustrated that they only had got into less than 10% of the boxes. I think when I read it, they got into like 380 something out of 4,000 boxes. Uh, but they figured Damn. it was more than uh, the poet, which is another guy, mentioned it would be wise for them to remove the beam holding the vault. That way it would take longer to find the tunnel entrance. Spaggiari said, he's not even worried about it. It's definitely time to go. The mason was the last one out and turned the light off. They had convoys of dinghies along with the loot. Once they got back, they took all their clothes off and left one by one. So, like, they didn't leave all at once. They were all just dropping their clothes off, taking off the fucking waterproof suits and boots, yeah. just dropping all the shit. And um, once they are all uh, through... Uh, the lookout put the barrier back and they all drove off. So the guy, he was in this motorcycle waiting. These guys are all just coming out one at a time. I'm assuming Spaggiar is the last one out. And he, you'd hope, right? And he's driving and just gives the signal. The guy on the motorcycle just goes and puts that barrier back and just drives off. And these dudes just scot fucking free of 
millions and millions of who knows what. And that was the heist. I mean, that was like a three-day heist because they started well, they went on in a Friday Saturday. night. Yeah, so they went Friday night, but Monday was a holiday. I didn't. There's a lot of shit that I failed to mention. I'm putting so much shit into this. I, I forgot to mention Monday was a holiday. So that yeah, they worked till Monday, and they had to get out before the bank opened as a halt. Well, no, it's Monday 5 a.m. So maybe not. I don't fucking know. I can't remember. So yeah, at 5 a.m. they were like, all right, people are starting to show up at the back at the bank Monday morning. It's time for us to go. Get their Friday after they close, and then stayed until basically Monday when the first person gets there. Yeah. And that was the fucking heist. But now we got a lot more uh, heavier business to get into. Though the people who had business with the banks were extremely mad. Most of the public loved the heist. Seven days after the heist, someone called the police and said that they would give names for a million dollars, or a million franc, and half of the money that is returned. Half of the... That's pretty steep. Like, you're going to give me a minimum of a million, and then I want half of whatever you get back. Uh, the police declined, but in good faith, they left a list of initials involved. At the top of the list was A.S. So someone ratted him out, trying to get a bunch of money. Yeah, they, they tried like, to. Yeah. Well, they kind of did. They still to. left the initials A.S. So like, yeah, I'll give you yeah, a hint. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, maybe they bitch. thought that, like, they think that, yeah, if I leave initials, maybe they'll think, yeah, you know, we need to get this shit figured out. So maybe they'll come back and give me an offer. But yeah, this, this whoever that was, it was never mentioned, but he's a fucking asshole. Snitches get stitches. Damn straight. <laughs> Snitches wind up in ditches. An article in a magazine was written about this unorthodox robbery that had happened. The same detectives that were suspicious about the four men in the villa had an uneasy feeling. It's not possible, said one of them. The other one agreed, but mentioned that they seemed pretty worried and suspicious. The two of them headed to the villa, wondering how they would be treated if they had, if they had caught the robbers. One of the officers had suspicion growing ever since they met the men. I know... The owner of the villa and didn't understand why he would let random guys throw a party there. Also, one of the names the men gave didn't exist anywhere in France. Once they got to the villa, they saw large tire tracks, but seemed old. Suspect number one was the jealous wife's husband. The villa was thought to be good HQ since it had access to numerous highways. Therefore, a search warrant was issued by the villa. They found the villa a mess. Shoe-polished marks everywhere and cigars everywhere. Fucking cigars every time. They did find an industrial heater used to dry up flooded rooms, and it was covered in mud. More than that, all of the wine bottles and cigars found in the villa were the same in the tunnel and bank. Idiots. Mm-hmm. They began interviewing the husband who had unfortunately injured his hand during the heist. Wah, wah. He said he heard it outrighting and they had to let him go, though he wasn't off of the radar. It's be the same people that did the Velisca investigation. <laughs> right. Man, yeah, so... So true. I, I mean, I did leave off quite a bit, but... There's a lot of just like spotty police work to the Nice police department. Like they're just like, well, they're pro- how many of them were bought by the mob? And they were like, probably some of them were like, hey, this this might be mob work. I don't know how in depth we well, should go with this. 
So uh, a lot of it, what I was reading is that the um, where the villa was at, it was like the county. It's like the sheriff's office, right? Right. And the niece had their actual police force. So the ones that were investigating the villa were like the sheriff's office and they were kind of underfunded and like they didn't have the greatest of staff there. So like they really wouldn't put together one, two, three. They were just like, oh, well, this seems it is. So what it's it like is. super troopers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is like a low level department. Like they're not getting funded very well. They're just getting like random. I'm not Officer Farva out there just fucking yeah. off. Like, do you need my assistance? Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Leader of Cola. Yeah, that dude. Hello, meow. Uh, <laughs> the police found all of the people that were at the villa, and even the Renault that ran over the neighbor's lawn. All of them were trailed day and night, and their name list grew larger and larger. Before the heist, Albert has arranged. Albert had arranged for all the gold to be sold. To someone who can wash it for 30% less than market value. One of the men disagreed. He wanted the whole value of the money. Uh, he had somebody who owned a bar that he thought could buy at full value. The bar owner scolded him, uh, knowing exactly where it came from, and he said he wouldn't take, he wouldn't even touch it for any price. So like, get the fuck out of here. This like, guy's like, oh man, he's like, Jimmy will take it full price, and Jimmy sees it and he's like, the fuck I will. He's like, I yeah, want nothing exactly. to do with this. Yeah, but man, where are you got fuck that, off, bro? But the bar owner now, he was like, you know what? I kind of want a piece of this, so I can give you to a guy that can pull this off for us. So he tells him about this guy who was also a jeweler, and he was just like hard up for cash right now. So they set up That's, this meeting with his on, jeweler. Hang on. If you – if the person that they're trying to like set you up with needs money ASAP, that's not the guy you go to. Oh, dude, it gets so much worse. But first of all, if you take like – your gold to this fucking dude. He's like, I'm not fucking touching that. But for a cut, I'll send you to a fucking dude. It's like, all right, dude, never mind. For a cut, I'll take you to a crackhead who needs money real bad. Yeah. Yeah, never mind, dude. We're out. <laughs> yeah. No. All right. Thanks for your help, man. You never saw us. Like, yeah. Hey, man, I really need your help. Well, I'm not going to uh, help you directly, but um, I'll indirectly guy... lead you to someone who's way worse than me for a cut. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we'll yeah. just, I'll take oh. my cut out of it. Hey, crackhead Mike. We all know you're a crackhead. And I know who deals to you, so why don't I go above your head because you're a crackhead, a.k.a. Crackhead Mike. We're going to move on, and I'm going to go to Adam. <laughs> so this this part really didn't make sense to me. Uh, like I said, I've, I've like looked it up, and it maybe you guys can make sense of it for me. But th this guy, who is part of the heist, he wanted full value, right? And right. so he goes to this bar owner, and the bar owner was like, fuck you, Will, but... You know, this jeweler, he, he really needs the cash right now, so we can give it to him, and he can fix our problems. So they, they both go to this jeweler, and they set up, a, set up a meeting, and they tell this jeweler, hey, man, we'll give you 1,000 gold – or 1,000 gold, 1,000 franc per every ingot you get sold for us. So this, this uh, jeweler, he goes to the bank, and he goes to deposit a couple checks, and um, he's like, hey, also, I have like – gold that i'd like to get sold uh is that possible and the banker's like yeah we can do that like how many ingots are you talking he's like well just nine and i'm like yeah cool just bring it in and so in the next couple of days he brings us this nine ingots of gold and he sells it and he walks out with thirty two thousand dollars or thirty two thousand franc right when he gets back he gets nine thousand and spaggiari's guy that wanted the full value is like ecstatic he's like yeah i got paid fast you know yeah and I pretty much had this jeweler take the fall for me. 
but he didn't take the full value of gold because he just gave a right, thousand right, dollars right. worth. But they were so the initial offer was they would get thirty percent of the value. This offer they're getting they're getting about seventy five percent now. Yeah, okay. So yeah, they're yeah. they are making they're not getting full value, but they're getting way way more. They're only giving off. away the 25%. And the guy taking in is taking all of the risk, essentially. I'm glad you dumped it down for me, John, because I was like, this makes no fucking sense. This guy's retarded. Yeah, no, so he's not getting full value, but he's getting way more than the initial offer. Yeah, so yeah, they made this jeweler pretty much go to the bank, and he he gave all the money. But what you know they didn't understand was all the gold EGOTs have serial, like not serial numbers. It's pretty much what it is, though. They're traced. Yeah. And so they got this gold in. And they're like, wait a fucking, wait a minute. Like, and we have, we already have gold bar number four sixty-seven. Well, no, he didn't go back to Nice. It was a different bank. Like, it wasn't the same bank he sold it to. But it's still a trace, right? Yeah. So like, gold bar number like seven hundred forty-seven made by blah 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 blah. They're gonna be like, hey, wasn't this on the number that was sold by that bank like in Nice? And they're like, yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> Interesting. Makes sense. I mean, it's not that long ago that like, people weren't dumb. This isn't like the Roman ages where every gold coin was similar. Without no, you're talking about it. like maybe a month or two after this just happened. Yeah, so it's very fresh. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> hey man, this was you just stole this. Yeah, you're talking about like one of the biggest heists that people are just befuddled of how this pulled off. They didn't even know it was happening they're just trying to unlock this vault for almost 12 hours after they already left and they come in there's just tools everywhere heirlooms everywhere and they're like we have no idea what the fuck is going on so like it's it's a huge thing especially when the even the insurance company was like yeah nobody's breaking in you don't need cameras nobody's breaking in so we're talking about the uh we talked about the tour de france earlier yeah and Mm -hmm. this and it reminded me of when I think it was Lance Armstrong got his bikes stolen like during the tour. And he was like, he came out basically and he was like, Hey, look, um, it's like, it's literally a one of one bike. There is not another one like it. So, um, you can give it back and we won't, nothing will happen if you just give it back. Um, they go, but literally can't sell it. There's nothing you can, because if anyone sees it, they're going to know straight away. Like it's one of one. Like, there's nothing you can do with that. Same with these gold bars. They're all marked. Like, you can't just take you them can't. in and sell them to a bank. Of hey. course, on a list, they're going to be like, yep, 747, that was stolen. Like, yeah, they're like, like hey, that's here's Lance my, Armstrong's here, bike. You stole that. Here's, here's my gold bar. Yeah. Like, wait, what? Like, weird. Um, all nine of these came up as stolen. Crazy. The biggest surprise was after the heist, Albert started traveling. One of the places was, one of the places he traveled to was the USA. He called the CIA and wanted to work for them, telling them, with my crew, I can crack any safe, break into any location, no matter what. When they asked how they can trust him, he boastfully said, what if I told you I pulled off the heist of the century? What if I told you I robbed the Society Generale, however the fuck you want to say it, French. General. General. <laughs> they had an interview, but they didn't trust him. Again, if the CIA doesn't trust you either, I mean... this. Is sounding yeah. like the Velixa ask mur- Velixka axe murder, like you said. The Velixa ass murder? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh my god. They oh, murdered right. we yeah. yeah. the rear admiral. <laughs> got they the Velixka ass murderer. 
Shut around. up. I'm I think tired. I got the wrong video. Anyways, <laughs> sounds like the Velisca <laughs> act murder with the, oh yeah, I murdered these people. Uh, no, you didn't. <laughs> John's over there dying. I may have murdered an ass or two. <laughs> He was a serial ass murderer. I was a serial ass murderer back in the day. <laughs> then I settled down. <sighs> do I don't know. I don't know if I can read, okay? <laughs> he traveled to various places in Japan with the mayor of Nice again as his photographer. He bought a lot of art, suits, and jewels here, jewels there. He never stayed with the official party, however. He always got his own hotel. It was later thought by Japan that he had ulterior motives as he sold gold ingots in various places and used the ruse of traveling with the Nice mayor as a cover-up. So basically he traveled with the mayor as the photographer and then just sold gold in every different city he stopped at would sell a bar or two basically to make money. Yeah, because remember, like earlier. Yeah, remember, like earlier, as we were talking about him, like he started his own photography thing and became like a semi-official for the yeah town city. Yeah, all that shit. So he in the seventies, that was a big thing. They'd be like, they would that that makes sense. The there would it'd be a big deal to have the mayor of Nice go to Japan, and they would want to document his travels through there, and they could probably send it back to the papers. And every you know, so often they get these updates, they'd post pictures. Meanwhile, he's over there snapping pictures, you know, just. For cover up, he's like, I'm, ma- yeah. I'm gonna be a billionaire by the time I leave here. When I first read about this dude, as we're going through the story, I'm like, God damn, this neo Nazi fuck, like, fuck him. And then I keep reading, I'm like, God damn, he's kind of smart. And the more I read, he's like, This guy's a fucking genius. But you told me God. I might like this guy. I, I still don't like this guy. I kind of like him at this point. I'm like, this, He's fucking genius. I mean, I don't like. Him, but he's smart as fuck. He is. We. I said that from the beginning. I literally had never even heard about this guy until Me neither. We started Crazy. doing podcasts right. here, and the greatest fucking topic ever, huh? He's. He's. I mean, I. I'm pretty partial to the Velisca Asmerger, <laughs> but whatever. Bet you are. <laughs> <sighs> The police force used more than 500 men arresting most of the men precisely at the same time. They had warrants for everything. They arrested 35 of 40 warrants that day. The the other five got away during the operation. But by the end, 27 of the men were cleared and released. The other eight men were found to have slight connections and charged with minor crimes and released. There was two left. One was the one that sold the gold through the bank. <laughs> the jeweler who had basically nothing. He only wanted the money out of it. I nailed it. <laughs> it no, it, it wasn't the jeweler. It was the guy that had um, given the, the gold to the jeweler to sell. Oh. Because his his name was one of the four within the via or the villa. Oh, my God, the via. The via. The via. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> it. The police interviewed him saying, we know everything, and everyone has confessed mentioning you, so you might as well have come clean, to which he did and named their leader as 
Albert Spaggiari. Later Big that day, surprise. Oh, dude, yeah, he, they were that easy tech. They were like, "Hey, man, we know it all." It's like the like, easiest. The guy was like, "Oh, fuck." Yeah, oh, crap. Easy. You don't think one guy would be like, "All right, what do you know?" And just stop him. Be like, "Oh, well." Yeah. Uh, so tell you, me what uh, they said. That you robbed the bank. Uh, yep, I uh, did it. Yeah. They're like, what? Like, he, this guy was like, hey, man, we know you did it. And he's like, yeah, I fucking did it. Like, oh, God. oh, shit. <laughs> like, this dude was holding his breath. You know how, like, vegans are whenever you meet a vegan? Yeah, they're just like, hey, man, like, nice to meet you. I'm a vegan. That's exactly I how also this guy do CrossFit. Was. Yeah, uh, CrossFit, yeah. Exactly, CrossFit. Yeah, exactly. Uh. This guy was holding his breath. They're like, hey, man, we know everything. He's like, you're goddamn right you know everything because I did it. <laughs> I guess this is a good time to tell you that I'm a vegan. I fucking knew it. Later that day, a lady walked into his photography shop and asked for him. The manager said that he was renting the shop for Albert for the past six months, but is expecting him later that day. Albert came in and was told about the woman, but shrugged it off. Later that day, he was having dinner when the waitress said a woman was waiting out front. Thinking it was the mystery woman from earlier, he went out to meet where he was immediately surrounded. Maybe you done it was the CIA. Up. Sounds like you done fucked up, Aaron. Hey, that part to me. So like, Steven, I've given... maybe that was your grandma. What? Could be. We never told him the story. Are you waiting for your oh. grandma? So my grandmother was in the CIA as well as worked for NASA. He was interrogated for thirty-eight hours, denying it all and saying. When will you admit you simply have the wrong man? While being interrogated, they see, they searched his property. They found guns and dynamite, but no gold. They charged him with illegal possession of firearms. The police ended up charging his wife as an accomplice, and in response, Albert said he would confess just to keep her out of it. Thanks Smart for covering up my uh, shitty typing. There. I would very, just bail on my yeah. wife like that bitch did all of it. <laughs> she made me do it, sir. That's very sweet. Also, she said that if I, if I didn't do it, I angry. would get beat. Is his wife's name Amber Heard, maybe? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. She's cutting fingers off and pooping in his bed. She's like, I'm, I'm going to shit in his bed every night until you rob that bank. Oh, my God. There needs to be a movie made about this starring Johnny Depp. Oh, my God. His wife is Amber He can Heard. be Spaggiari. Exactly. And his yeah. wife is Amber Heard. Amber oh, Turd. Geez. Amber Turd. Hashtag oh, Amber Turd. When he confessed it. Confessed it? <laughs> he said confessed and it together. So it sounded like he said confessed it. But he oh, said confessed I put a it. comma. That's my bad. I didn't put a comma. I'm sorry, that's, guys. That's my typing comma. sucks. No, your typing is amazing. I'm just an Nope. Idiot. Nope. Nope. There's no comma there. And I see the, 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 uh, the problem now. I apologize. I'm the problem. It's fine. Am I the problem? <laughs> I, I don't the, think I'm the problem. Am I the drama? No, I don't think I'm the drama. Yeah, you are, Amber Heard. When he confessed, it seemed he loved the publicity. He ended up giving little info at a time over the winter of 76, once a week, every Thursday at a courthouse with the judge. The policemen that watched him grew respectful towards him. Spaggiari would even give them money to go buy lunch for them all. 
What a nice guy. Yeah, but was it his Oh, one? yeah, the neo-Nazi murder cult guy is just a sweetheart. Yeah, he just did it for the love of all. Yeah, I'm sure he Minus gave the Jews. Yeah, he paid out of his pocket for all that, right? Yeah, all the millions of dollars. I'm sure lunch was really hurting him. Oh, yeah. McDonald's just fucking killing the wallet. Security loosened as he gave little info and seemed to take care of everyone. He was like, you know what, bitches? It's cool. Yeah, every Thursday he rolls up to court and he's like, I'm a nice had guy. had a purple shirt on. You guys want to go get lunch? Here's my money. Well, I mean, like, he's not, like, just going from his house to there. He's in prison right now. Right. So he's in a cell, and every every Thursday they would go pick him up from a cell and take him to the courthouse. But as he's at his cell or the courthouse, wherever he's at, he's just fucking throwing money out. Like, you know what, dude? Like, let's go get lunch for us all. Go get go get us some cigarettes. You know like, it's on me. You know what? You want some Texas Roadhouse? Get a steak for everyone. Here you go. So good right now. Right here, like, what? Bitch, we know that money is not your money. They, didn't they gladly took it. Yeah, they, they, were just yeah, like, they oh, didn't give yeah. a shit. Well, I mean, would you? Does that technically make them accomplices? Should. But it's France. You know what's so, weird, though? No. I just thought, like, right now, how did he have so much cash in prison? Commissary. Yeah. Was he just, like, writing checks the whole time? Damn did right. they let him keep his checkbook? They just, like, had a lot of cash on him? Yeah. They were like, hey, man, you're in prison for robbing a bank. That lot of cash, you can keep it. Get in your cell. Boy. <laughs> Treat yourself. <laughs> Treat yourself. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. November 3rd. He's walking around prison uh, in a Batman suit now. Yeah, no shit. I'm vengeance. I'm, I'm Batman. I'm vengeance. <laughs> November 3rd, 1976, Bajiari seemed pale to the guard. He mentioned he probably had been smoking too many cigarettes. This day, as every week, he was transported to the courthouse to meet the judge. In the courtroom, there was only four people, Albert, the judge, the clerk of the court, and his attorney. Spaggiari had promised a detailed plan the previous week. He took out a piece of paper from his suit and handed it to the judge. It was a paper of various lines, marks, and symbols. The judge had no idea what he was looking at. Uh, Spaggiari got up, seeming extremely pale. His attorney began to get extremely worried for his well-being. I think he went on, like, record saying, like, I thought he was going to fucking die. Like, he, he just looked so sickly this whole fucking day. Like, when he stood up, like, all the check engine lights came on this fucking dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he was like, yeah, this dude has something way worse than fucking cigarettes. Spaggiari walked across the courtroom and leaned over the judge's table, pointing at the piece of paper. The judge saw his finger and heard, look, and Spaggiari immediately left out the open window to the right of the judge's desk. What the, the fuck? Ju the judge thought he was trying to commit suicide, so he was like, hey, don't fucking do it, you know? <laughs> and then, to their surprise, Spaggiari landed on a car, dinning the roof, and he rolled off the roof, and he left on a motorcycle that was waiting for him with a rider revving the engine up. Spaggiari yelled, au revoir, as the Kawasaki just sped off. What the it was basically fuck? like, bye, bitches. Fuck I mean, fuck. wild. If we're going to be honest, it did work for Ted Bundy. Sort of. Well, for well, a, here a in Colorado. The police force immediately went into action. Roadblocks were set. All trains and planes were halted. There was a private plane that took off and was immediately ordered to land. However, this was all to no avail. 
Spaggiari has not been seen since. However, he was heard from. The man of the car he landed on lived outside the courthouse. What? So he jumped out. So he was, he, he was a homeless guy? He jumped out the window. No, yeah, he jumped out the window and landed on this dude's fucking car and, yeah. and like, crushed the roof in. Yeah. This guy lived across the street from the courthouse oh, and okay, parked his okay. car across the street, but it's been damaged before. Right. So he was like, you know what? I'll just park at the courthouse, and that's probably a safer bet. And then, like, Spad Yari jumps out the fucking window and lands on his car and just caves this bitch in. So the repairs of the brand-new car cost 600 francs, and insurance didn't cover a dime. A few weeks later, he received a letter in the mail with 625 francs and an apology letter from Spaggiari. I do kind of like him now. So this says that he hasn't been heard from. So I looked him up a little bit earlier. He died in 1983 or something. But did he actually die? Well, so that was like a like a speculation thing. So there was rumors that he had died and they brought the, the, the body back to his mother and some shit like that. But the mother was like, this isn't his body. And they were like, yeah, it is. And she was like, okay, yeah, it's his body. Hmm. We are missing a whole situation here. So yeah, that, that is the, uh, the greatest heist of the century. And you know what? I don't know Maybe if those numbers time. are correct. Yeah, uh, that, that's my point. I don't know if those numbers are correct because it said like they stole how much? A lot. Like I mean, a stupid amount. And I've tried to like Google. Like you would think that even YouTube would be like, yeah, this is a lot of fucking money. Well, here's the deal. My I guess my thought is if they left almost two million dollars behind, of that was just that ah, we don't need it. They took significantly. Well, they stole a lot more than that, right? That's what I'm no, saying. If, they, if two million dollars was okay to leave behind, they well, must have taken that, like, hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, and did you know? It they literally took like photos, like that someone was using for blackmail. Yeah, which then got <sighs> out. And they're like, you inadvertently, know, they got out. Well, I mean, inadvertently, but we're we're not going to blackmail anybody. But here's what we found. Here you go. Yeah, blackmail's out now. Well, on like, this thing that I just saw, it says none of the proceeds of the robbery were ever found. So, so they took it to the grave with them. Well, like, so again, so like, it was said that at, in today's money, it was four hundred and seven million three hundred and fifty-two thousand three hundred ninety-eight dollars. That's a lot of fucking money. Oh, yeah. That's wild. And you to never imagine. be caught with that money. That was that's today's money. So um, I think back then it said it was sixty four million. So like, I, well, even even like at still, that, even at that time, like to never be caught with that money, like they obviously whoever did this. Oh, they went to South America, for sure. That's that's where everybody went back then. That's what you did. You went to South America. You could live on way less. Nobody was going to ask you any questions. But that's so much money. Just never, like, oh, man. <laughs> it's wild. One of the main books I read, just to give, like, quick shout-outs, was uh, Under the Cities of, or Under the Streets of Nice. That was one of the books I read that gave a lot of info. And I actually got this from another podcast, too. They, it's called The True Crime Guys, and the episode is called The Heist of the Century. So just to shout-out those guys. They helped a lot oh, yeah. with all this. 
So if y'all, if anybody, you guys, or if anybody else wants to listen to this, I would definitely go read that book or listen to that podcast. It was phenomenal. All right. So again, uh, guys, that was our take on Albert Spaggiari and probably one of the greatest heights that's ever been performed. Uh, if you ever want to get a hold of us or we, if we got something wrong, feel free to like hit us up. Just reach out. We have an uh, email that's historyuntapped at yahoo.com. We also have Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, I believe. We Michael? TikTok. We got, we got that too. Just hit us up on TikTok. Um, and hope you guys enjoyed it. We put a lot into this, and we hope to see you on the next one. Hey, guys. Real quick before we go, we want to give a shout-out to all good folks who produce and perform the music on the show. We also want to let you know that we have a merch store where you can get some cool shirts, stickers, posters, and mugs. So head on over to historyuntappedstore.org and check it out. Thanks for listening. Love you. Bye.